listening to the Embassy Church Podcast. And here is today's message. Our God is so amazing. I was just thinking during worship, because we went and got these humidifiers, and they put water into the air. And the water in the air just covers every piece of this room, right to the ceiling, right to the back. It just envelops the room. And um, God does that. He just envelops every part of this room. He is here. He is here. He is so awesome. So awesome. Before I start, I just want to say a quick announcement about, we've talked about outreach. It's always in our announcements. I don't know if we've ever explained what exactly it is. Um, When we talk about outreach, we talk about feeding the homeless people out on the street, about giving them a warm bowl of soup and a sandwich, a cup of coffee, giving them maybe a coat or some boots or a blanket or something that can help them. And um, we do every third Sunday and it's at St. Albans Anglican Church. They have allowed us to use a portion of their building. And uh, we, go, we show up at 1.30. We get everything ready. At 2 o'clock, we unlock the doors. And then from 2 to 4, we give a, 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 some, some food and some warmth to whoever walks in the door. And, and the reason I'm mentioning that is because Um, The Baptist Church does three Sundays a month, sometimes four, depending on the month, and we do one. We do every third Sunday. But um, they're getting kind of wasted. And and what we would like to do is we'd like to run two groups, but not with the same people. We'd like, it takes about 11 people to run it for a couple hours. And, And so... If you feel that God would lay it on your heart to help us with that, we need about 22 people so that we can have two teams so that we can do twice twice a month and so that we don't get burned out. So if you feel that, that God is speaking to you about this, please talk to me. Um, come and see me or come and see Sean Corgan. We're probably going to have a meeting about it all where you can come and ask questions and stuff, but... Um, it's just something God has mandated that we as Christians do. And so we're doing our best to do what God has asked us to do. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you this morning for, again, for being with us. It's so amazing to me that you just show up, that you love us, and you just want to be with us as much as we want to be with you. And we're here to be with you corporately as a group. We thank you for being with us. Holy Spirit, have your way this morning. Do whatever you want to do. We pray that we wouldn't get in the way, but that we would be able to help you to do whatever you want to do. We give you this service. Father, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. (laughs) Charity, that's an amazing story about those bugs. I'm going to talk about those bugs a little bit. I'm going to get there. I won't start there, but the bugs are going to come up. As a church, we've been reading through the Bible together. And if you're not sure, on our our website, there's a big thing that says Bible reading. And if you click on that, it'll tell you what chapter we're reading on which day. And we just all read it together. 
And, and a few months ago, we went through First and Second Kings. And as I was reading through First and Second Kings, one phrase kept standing out to me. Every time I read it, it would kind of go, huh, there it is. So I'm, I'm just going to read you a few verses where that phrase is, and we'll talk about it a bit. First Kings 15, 11 to 14. Asa did what was good in the Eternal's eyes, just as his ancestor David had. He eliminated cult prostitution throughout the land. He destroyed every idol his fathers had crafted. He also took away his mother's position as queen mother because she, Mekah, had made a corrupt and vile image honoring the goddess Asherah. Asa stripped down the goddess's image and set fire to it in the trash heap beside the Kidron stream. The high places were left alone. Asa did not touch them. But his heart belonged wholly to the Eternal One for his entire life. Most of the kings listed in First and Second Kings um, aren't anybody to base your life on. <laughs> um, uh, most of them were bad and most of them were mediocre at best um, as far as what the, the Bible and how God spoke about them. Joash, Amaziah, Uzziah, and Jotham were good kings, but every one of them, it says, they did not remove the high places. There were only two kings that removed the high places. And so that stuck out to me. They did not remove the high places. God had that against them. They did great. God never brought up any other mistakes. And you know there are lots of them because there always are. But he, the Bible brings up the fact that he never took down the high places. So I was wondering, what is a high place? Angel, can you put the picture up there? That um, is what's left of a high place. It's, it's, it's in Megiddo, it's in Israel. But you can see it was a place of worship. So the, the round platform there is where they would sacrifice. And they would sacrifice to their gods and they would have all kinds of worship that went around along the outside of it. So that is kind of like what a high place is. A high place was a place of worship. It was where people gathered together to offer sacrifices and to worship. Most of the time it was demonic. The Canaanites used that and the Canaanites God, they had child sacrifices um, and other kinds of sacrifices that God detested. And then there was Asherah. Asherah was a fertility goddess. It was a goddess of sex. And they had Asherah poles and they would have orgies out there around the poles. And um, at, some, at one point, one of the kings had erected one of them in the temple. Um, and that was the high place. The high places weren't always bad places. Um, in, in 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon worshiped God at a high place. And God accepted the worship. A high place isn't always high. It isn't, the word means elevated. But Jeremiah talks about a high place in a valley. So the high place doesn't mean it's elevation more than it means a place of worshiping God, a God. But King Solomon worshiped God at a high place and God accepted the worship in 1 Kings 3. God granted Solomon's, that's where Solomon asked God for wisdom and God granted it. It was at one of these high places. But in Deuteronomy, God said, in Deuteronomy 12, God said that, when I choose the place 
to reside, all worship will be at that place. And it's interesting that God set that out in Deuteronomy long before the temple was ever built, hundreds of years before. But Solomon built that temple. In 1 Kings 5 to 7, you can read about Solomon building the temple, and then God's presence moved into that temple. And after that happened, the high places were supposed to be non-existent and never used again, as far as our God goes. But of course, nobody ever tore them down. And Solomon actually built high places after he built the temple for his wives. First Kings 11, Solomon built high places for his foreign wives to worship and sacrifice to their foreign gods, which included child sacrifices and it included Asherah and the sexual orgies. Solomon actually built places for this to happen. So you can see the regression in Solomon's life from when he was young and he worshiped God in a high place and God granted him wisdom. And then he wrote Proverbs, most of Proverbs. And throughout his life, when he got to be older, he built all of these high places for his, they're his wives to worship these gods. And you can read what that's like if you read Ecclesiastes. That's written by Solomon when he was older. And you go from the Proverbs of, of great wisdom to verses like, what's the use? Everything is in vain. Why in the world would we ever, you know, it's just, we'll just live till we die and that's all there is to it. You know, and if you read three Ecclesiastes, you can see Solomon saying that. So you can see how he regressed. And these high places were a very large part of his regression. So the high place is a place of worship. Um, and they did not tear these places down. The good kings cleaned out the temple. They got rid of all the garbage out of the temple. They instituted worship at the temple, but they never tore down these high places. For whatever reason, um, I suspect one of the reasons could have been that secretly they wanted to keep them. And that's why they never tore them down, but the Bible doesn't say that. I don't know that for sure. So I wanted to talk about worship because they did not tear down the high places which were places of worship. The worship was supposed to be in the temple and in the temple only. And of course you're supposed to worship God and God only. And of course that wasn't happening. So if we go to just dictionary.com says worship is reverent honor and homage paid to God or a sacred personage or a sacred object. The object of adoring reverence or regard. And there were times you can find in the Old Testament where the Israelites worship turned from worshiping God to worshiping a thing. The obvious one is the golden calf in Exodus. And um, Moses goes up in the mountain and he's gone like for a month and a half. And they just assume he got eaten by something and he's not coming back. And so they, they, they built this golden calf and, and they didn't build it to say, let's worship this golden calf. You know, they said, let's worship the Lord, but we'll use this golden calf as a focal point to worship God. And they did that and God wasn't happy. God wasn't happy. The, he, uh, Moses finally came down and we all know what happened with the golden calf. It was destroyed and he forced, Moses forced the leaders to actually eat the gold. He ground it up and forced them to eat their own golden calf. And um, 
It wasn't good. And there's, there's also a time when they were wandering in the wilderness where the snakes were coming through and the snakes were biting people and killing them. So Moses, God told Moses to build a snake and put it on a pole, one that looks like the snakes. And he made it out of brass. It was called the brass thing. Um, I can't say the Hebrew word, but it means the brass thing. And anybody that looked on that got healed. So a bunch of, like hundreds and hundreds of years later, they are worshiping that snake. They are not worshiping God anymore. They're worshiping that image that God told Moses to make. So their worship has gone from worshiping God to worshiping a thing. And, and again, you know, they reason it out and they say, well, we're, we're worshiping God. God built this thing for us to look at. So we're going to look at this while we worship God. And that wasn't good either. Hezekiah destroyed it destroyed that thing but it was a long time between Moses and Hezekiah we're talking and I didn't check it out but I'm guessing four or five hundred years between the two and and it just slowly digresses and, and, and God is not happy so what kind of worship does God want he built the snake he told Moses to build it he told Moses what to build it out of and then got angry when they worshiped it what is God looking for what kind of worship is God looking for? Jesus said that it's what comes out of your mouth that defiles you. So conversely, what comes out of your mouth can also be worship. And it can be exactly the same words, and it can either defile you or it can be worship to God. And so I, I want to go through this a little bit. Um, Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 to 11. I'm going to read these 11 verses, and it's... It's Jesus trying to teach something. When the Pharisees and the religious scholars came from Jerusalem and asked Jesus a question, why do your disciples ignore the traditions of our elders? For example, they don't ceremonially wash their hands before they eat bread. <laughs> Marge has gotten after me for that one. Um, but the, um, the Pharisees knew it wasn't in the word, washing your hands. It was a tradition of their elders, and they knew it. And they said, why don't you follow the traditions of our elders? And Jesus said, why do you ignore the commandment of God because of your traditions? Didn't God say, honor your father and mother, and whatever honor your father and mother and what whoever abuses or insults his father or mother must be put to death that's quite harsh you know I think I'd probably be dead um, I have I have been upset at my mom and dad and I'm sure we all have and I went and looked it up actually and in Leviticus and Exodus it actually does say that yeah it does say to put them to death if they if they abuse their father and their mother and Jesus said, but you teach it's okay, it's permissible to say to your parents when they are in financial need, whatever gift you would have received from me, I'm going to keep for myself since I dedicate it as an offering to God. This doesn't honor your father or your mother, and you have elevated your tradition above the words of God. Frauds and hypocrites. Isaiah described you perfectly when he said, these people honor me only with their words, for their hearts are so very distant from me. 
they pretend to worship me, but they worship is, their worship is nothing more than empty traditions of men. And then Jesus turned to the crowd and said, listen and open your heart to understand. What truly contaminates a person is not what he puts into his mouth, it's what comes out of his mouth that makes people defiled. Now, Jesus didn't say that everything that comes out of your mouth defiles. Obviously, that's not true. But what comes out of your mouth comes from your heart. And if how do I say it? If what's in your heart is good, what comes out of your mouth will be good, and it will not defile you, and it will honor God. If what's in your heart is not good, it doesn't matter what comes out of your mouth, you will not be honoring God. Your worship is going to be nothing. It's going to be in vain. It's going to be zero and useless and a waste of time. In, in other words, when we worship God, it needs to come from our heart. And your heart, by the way, is your mind. It's your thought process. That's why there is such a fight by the enemy to keep us from thinking correctly. And why God wants to change our thinking. And he wants to renew our minds. And, and we'll go there in a little bit. John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24 in the Passion. From now on, worshiping the Father will not be a matter of the right place. In other words, you don't have to do it in the temple anymore. That was a major shift from the Old Covenant to the New. But with a right heart. For God is a spirit. He longs to have sincere worshipers who adore him in the realm of the spirit and in truth. So God wants people who will worship in spirit and truth. Have you ever wondered what that meant? What in the world is spirit and truth? Because I've wondered it lots of times. <laughs> um, true worship comes from your spirit. It comes from within you. Outward acts of worship that are acceptable to God are the result of inward worship to God. Reverent honor and homage towards God at home, at work, as you drive down the road. The people, Charity can lead worship so well, not because she can sing great, which she can, but because most of her worship is you never see. Most of her worship is in her house where nobody sees it. Same with Megan. Most of the worship that they do, and the reason they're such good worshipers is because they worship at home. And not just at home by singing songs and listening to praise worship. They go to work, and they worship there. And what I'm trying to say is worship is more than just singing songs all the time. Worship is more than praying. Worship is more than lifting your hands. That's a pretty small part of worship. What we do here is corporately Sunday morning is worship, but it's a very small part of our worship. And what I'm trying to say is, is that our worship is our life. Um, Rick Warren said, worship is not a part of your life, it is your life. It is your life. Now, we are going to worship one way or the other. You are going to worship God or you're going to worship something else. And that's why Jesus said, you cannot worship God and you cannot worship money at the same time. And it's not just money, it is anything. You cannot worship God and worship something else at the same time. 
Because worship is what you think about. Worship is what you fantasize about. What do you think about when you shut the light off and you go to bed and there's no stimulation, there's just you in the bed and it's dark? Where does your mind go? Where does it take you? That's worship. Or it's a high place. So what I, what I want to center on is our rever- where our reverent honor and homage lies. Because if it lies with God, we are going to go to bed, and as we fall asleep, we're going to be thinking about what God did that day, what God said to us that day. We're going to be thinking about how we can help somebody do something that God wants us to do. And that's worship. That is worship. But if what you're thinking about has nothing to do with God, if you're thinking about how you would like to tell that person off that hurt you this morning and just give them a piece of your mind and hurt them back, well, that's a high place that needs to be torn down. If you are thinking about a piece of gossip you heard and you can't wait to phone someone tomorrow morning and tell them about it, it's a high place. It has nothing to do with God. And it's you're worshiping something that is demonic because it's not from God. You should look up and sometimes see what the Bible has to say about gossip. It puts it right in there with murderers, adulterers, and everything else. But if that's where your mind goes, your mind is not your friend, by the way. If you allow your mind to go wherever it wants, it will take you down the worst path you can imagine. You have to control it. You have to tell it what to think about. You have to refuse to allow it to think about certain things. And so, and that's sometimes not easy. It gets easier as you grow in it and as you do it. But it's not easy when you first start because you're just so used to going wherever and thinking whatever. That's the spirit, worship in the spirit. But what is worshiping God in truth? And this is, this is what I thought was so cool. Truth is ho- who you know God to be, what God has revealed about himself to you. And the cool thing about this is when you mix what you know about God with your spirit, so you worship God according to what you know about him, your worship gets better as you get more revelation. So someone who just got saved and their worship, and they don't know much about God at all other than the fact that he just saved them, and they worship the God who saves, that worship is just as acceptable as a Greek heal, Greek theologian, a Greek scholar who knows all the stuff and everything in the Bible and worships God to what he knows about God in the Bible. And the two are acceptable to God. And as you grow in your knowledge of who God is and you worship with the knowledge of who God is, your worship grows. It will grow with you. So when you worship God in spirit and in truth, you're worshiping him with your mind, with everything you think. And when you meditate on what God shows you about who he is, that's worship in truth. And that's what God is looking for. God is looking for people who will think about him all the time. And, and I'm not saying that. I, I want to reference that. And it's not always thinking about a verse of the Bible all the time because sometimes we actually do have to work. 
But when you do go to work, who you're working for, you know, when you sit down and try and solve a problem at work, do you ask God to help you? Do you ask God for the grace, for his power and ability, for him to use that on your behalf so you can come up with a cool idea that solves the problem? That's worship. Because you're involving God in what you're doing. You're involving God in what you're doing. If you're driving down the road and somebody cuts you off and you just pray a blessing over him, that's worship. If you curse him, well, that's worship too, but it's the wrong direction. <laughs> and here's the thing, we always, you will always worship. You will always worship. It just determines whether you're going to worship God or whether you're going to worship something that is ungodly. And if it's ungodly, it's demonic. And we get to choose. We get to decide what we're going to do. And as God reveals more of himself to you, your worship will automatically change to reflect that. So your worship will grow as your revelation grows. And like I said, conversely, if you create an idol in your mind, your, your worship is going to diminish because you're worshiping the wrong thing. Um, so back to the high places, <laughs> the high places of worship. There were physical places of worship, mostly demonic, but not all of them. A high place for us is what we think about when we're alone. What do we fantasize about when you go to bed? I've talked about that. Are the thoughts products of God changing your heart? Are they thoughts of anger? Are they thoughts of sex? What do you think about when you go to bed? These are the high places that you need to be, need to be torn down. In October, we went through a fast as a church. Um, we fasted for 21 days. And God, as you all know, had been taking, has, has been taking me through a renewal. <laughs> That's the best way to say it. And I remember talking to our pastor one day about the fast that was coming up, and I was looking forward to it. And God said to me, the whole thing for you started with the fast. It's going to end with the fast. And I got really excited. <laughs> I really did. I was so looking forward to the fast. 20 days into the fast, nothing had happened. Nothing. And I uh, remember going to God and saying, like, what's going on? You know, like you promised me this. And God said, it hasn't been 21 days yet. <laughs> it's only been 20. <laughs> so, or 19. And through the whole fast, I'm thinking about high places. And I'm, and, I'm, and I'm looking forward to God finally finishing at least this portion of what he's doing in my heart. And it doesn't seem to be happening. And I was a little discouraged. And so I went and I'm praying. And finally, on the 20th day, I'm reading about a high place. And God said to me, you have a high place that needs to be torn down. And so I asked him what it was. <laughs> the 
high place I had was the renewal that God was working me through and working me out of. Way deep down, somewhere inside of me, I really wished that what God was walking me out of wasn't wrong so that I could do it and not get into trouble. And I had no idea that was even there. None whatsoever. But when God showed it to me, then I saw it, and I knew it was there, and I realized that, and I just sat there and cried because I had no idea that it was there. And God, and, and thinking about it, it was probably born out of self-pity because I was going through this whole thing and it was taking so long. And I, what I had to do is tear down that high place. In other words, I had to change my thought process. I had to change my desires so that they would match what God's was. And I had to stop feeling sorry for myself that I couldn't sin. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense to you at all, at all. And you would think, what? Why would you want to do that? But I didn't even realize that I wanted it until God showed it to me. And when I realized it was there, well, I got rid of it really quick. I mean, within minutes. And that was the thing that I needed to fast for 21 days to find. And God showed it to me and I gave it to him and he dug it out and threw it away. But we all have those places. And I am sure that I have more that God hasn't shown me yet. And so our whole walk with God is to walk step by step and listen for him to show us these things. We all have high places we need to tear down because we're alive and we've lived. We've been hurt. We've made bad decisions. We've, made, we've dealt with things wrong. In Proverbs, it says to guard your heart. Um, Proverbs 4.23 so above all, guard the affections of your heart, and they will affect all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being. From there flows the wellspring of life. And we've heard this verse a hundred times. And it tells us to guard the affections of our heart. In other words, the affections of our heart can be changed. If we give them to God, God will change them. If we really want to get rid of them, God will change. I had to change the affection of my heart because it was a high place that I needed to tear down to keep going further with God. I was at a standstill because that high place had to come down. The kings wouldn't tear down the high places. We need to tear down our high places. We need to go find out what they are and we need to tear them down. We need to give them to God and, and God will take them and tear them down. But we need to give God permission to do it. He's not going to meddle in your heart if you, don't, if you don't want him to. You have to ask him. And, and I actually had to fast for 21 days so that I could hear what he had to say for me. I don't know why I couldn't hear it before the 21 days. It's also interesting that it was exactly three years to the day from when God started it with a fast to the day we ended the fast. Exactly three years to the day. And I don't know what that means. I really don't. It's just cool. I've asked God what that means. He hasn't told me. But we need to do that. We need to go to God and ask him if there's any high places that we need to tear down. And you know what? If he doesn't say anything to you, that's fine. Just keep worshiping with what you know. He'll, he'll let you know eventually. Um, 
don't don't go away thinking I don't know I didn't hear about a high place how can I find one that's not because the enemy will tell you that you're rotten because you don't find it because you don't know of a high place in your heart don't just don't let him do that God will tell you when God's ready to tell you you know one of the biggest things I had to learn and I think I said this before was that I had to learn to trust God to tell me when I was going the wrong direction because I was trying to be perfect I was trying to do it all right and God showed me that you don't do that perfectionism doesn't work because perfectionism is born out of doing it yourself it's works you are trying to do everything perfect so that God will accept you and you can't do that you just have to trust that God accepts you the way you are and if he doesn't tell you to change anything keep living the way you are until he does he will he will tell you but don't feel bad if he's not telling you because a lot of people do you know like like we'll talk about where God has taken us and then you guys some of you will go home and go God's never said that to me I must not be as good as Wayne is and that's not true don't let him do that to you if God doesn't tell you just keep going if there's a thought that keeps coming back over and over and over again well then maybe God's trying to say something you know but don't take the condemnation please don't do that Last week, the pastor was talking about walking through a wilderness place. And I want to go there for a little bit. She talked about Jesus in the wilderness. And I was going to read all this, but I think I won't. I think I'll just tell you the story. Jesus comes out of the hills to get baptized by John. John says, no, I'm not, getting, I'm not baptizing you. You need to baptize me. That would be like Jesus walking in the back door it's, it's saying, Megan, I want you to baptize me. You were thinking, like, hello? <laughs> that ain't gonna happen. Like, I just, it needs to be the other way around. But Jesus said, no, you need to do that. So they baptize him. And I'm not gonna go into all the theological significance of it because I would probably just make myself look silly. But so Jesus gets baptized. He comes out of the water and God says, this is my son. This is the one I love. I am so happy with him. And what had Jesus done to that point? Uh, I don't think he'd done anything. Maybe the wine at, at the wedding. I'm not sure when exactly that happened. But Jesus hadn't started his ministry yet. And God said, so pleased with him. So happy with him. Something to think about. God is so happy with you, whether you have started a ministry or whether you haven't. God is so proud of you just because you have done your best to live for him as you know and that's all he expects you're not perfect none of us are perfect we all fall down we all make mistakes but that's what God Jesus died for anyway Jesus comes up out of the water and he's taken into the wilderness and he fasts for 40 days he doesn't eat anything And he's gone out to be tempted. And he, and he is tempted. And I'm pretty sure that what Jesus is thinking, he went out to fast so that he could hear from God a plan as to how to do the ministry. Okay, he's stepping into this ministry that God has raised him to do. He's, he's 30 years old. And for 30 years, he has been trained to do this last next three years. 
and he wants to do it the way God wants him to do it. So he was, he's out in the wilderness and he's fasting so he can hear the Spirit of God tell him what he needs to do. Just like with me, I had to fast for 21 days so I could hear the Spirit of God tell me what I needed to do. Jesus did the same thing. And it's called the wilderness. And, and Megan mentioned this last week, I'm gonna say it again. You walk into the wilderness, it does not mean you did anything wrong. The wilderness is a good thing actually because when you come out of the wilderness, you come out way better than you went in. So Jesus goes into the wilderness and he's praying about God, how do I, how do I minister to these people? What do I do? And Satan comes along and says, well, you know what? You're pretty hungry. You've been fasting for 40 days or however many days it was at that point. And it's not good for the son of God to be hungry. So you know what? If you just feed yourself, go down, do a miracle, make the stones into bread, feed everybody, they will follow you all the way to heaven. That's what you need to do. That's how you need to do it. And Jesus said, man doesn't live by bread alone. There is more to life than eating. That's a good thing to remember. <laughs> There's more to life than eating. I love to go and get, eat. I, I'm a blizzard nut. I love blizzards. March has to say, no, you had one last night. You can't do one tonight. And I go, yeah, you're probably right. Anyway, Jesus knew it. He says, no, that's not the way. That's not the way. And Jesus quoted the word to him. And Satan goes, well, okay, I can quote the word. I know the Bible is just as good as he does. So he comes back to Jesus, however long he was gone. He comes back and he says, well, you know what? If they see you coming down from, a, from the top of the temple and coming down through the air as the angels hold you up and you come down and gently land on the ground, you come out of heaven like that, they will follow you all the way to heaven. They will follow you. That, that's what you need to do. I find it interesting, though, that Jesus is coming back that way. And, and, and I suspect that Jesus went, or God said, Jesus, yeah, that's going to happen, but now's not the time. And it's another lesson. You know, sometimes God shows us what he wants us to do, but now's not quite the time yet. You know, we really need to get God's timing on stuff. We can't just rush into things. And then it doesn't work. And then we say, well, God obviously didn't say that. I obviously missed God. Well, you didn't. You just missed his timing. It's something to be careful of. Anyway, Jesus again quotes the word, you know, and says, don't put the Lord your God to a test. So then Satan takes off. Comes back a third time. And this is the whole thing that Satan wanted through all the other, one, the other two. He said, you know what? I'll give you everything. Uh, this is my earth. This is my place. This is my domain. I'll give it all to you if you will just worship me. And that's what he wanted the whole time. He wanted Jesus to worship him instead of the Father. And Jesus said, all of these kingdoms, oh, Satan said, I'll give them to you. Jesus said, go away, Satan. <laughs> the scriptures say, I'll kneel before the Lord your God and worship him only. Go away, Satan. I don't think he said that to him the first two times. He didn't tell Satan to get lost the first two times, and then Satan came back. I don't know if there's anything in that or not. I just thought of that now. You know, and the third time Satan comes, Jesus says, just get lost. And he does. 
And then the angels show up and they give him something to eat. But it's a wilderness experience. But the whole thing, the whole point of the wilderness for was for Jesus to know, get a plan from God on how to minister to the people. Satan's whole plan was to get worship from him. And that's why God wants those high places gone. Because Satan wants us to worship something that isn't the Father. Because the only way he can hurt God is if he can get you to worship something that's not him. If he can get you to turn your back on God, because if you worship one thing that's not him, it's, it's going to end up being two. Because your heart is going to slowly get hard. And then the second one is going to be, well, okay. There'll be a third one. There'll be a fourth one. And before you know it, you've turned your back and walked away from God. And nothing hurts a parent more than a child turning his back on him and walking away. That's the only way Satan could hurt God, is if we allow him to get into our worship and we worship something that isn't God. So there's a lot of us, I think, that are walking through a wilderness, a wilderness experience right now. And what we need to do is just worship. Worship God in singing, worship God in our speaking, talk to God and worship him, go to work, Ask God to help you with the job you're doing at, at hand. I, I worked at the pen and I did a maintenance job. And I was known for being able to get the job done within the rules. And I thought, well, I'm really good at this. For 15 years, I thought I'd do a pretty good job at this because they all told me I did. And until, until I retired and then God, until I decided I was going to retire and God lifted the grace. The last six months were horrible because I did not, the grace wasn't there to do the job anymore. That's worship. So as we listen for God, listen for God's grace, and it's not, it's not a ooh-la-la thing out in nowhere. You know, you just ask God, God, how do I solve this problem? And you just start thinking about the problem and wait for God to give you an idea on how to solve it or what you're supposed to do. That is worship. That is worshiping God. And when we do everything in our lives that way, with the thought of God behind what we're doing, that's worship. When Jordan takes apart a motorbike <laughs> and, and forgets how to put it back together or doesn't know, just trying to find what's wrong with it, you know, as he thinks about it, as he works through the problems, well, this and that and this, and suddenly it dawns on him what the problem is. That's the Holy Spirit showing him what the problem is. You know, Jordan is a good mechanic, but he's not that good. The Holy Spirit is good. He's good. And we're all like that, right? I don't think we have these thoughts come into our head, and I don't think many of them are our thoughts. I don't think we have that many original thoughts. Most of them are from God, and some of them are not. But we're just not smart enough to come up with those cool original things but the Holy Spirit is. When, when, when Louis Pasteur invented penicillin, it wasn't because he was smart. It was because God showed it to him. And he went, oh, yeah. And whether he, he gave God the glory for it or not, I mean, I really don't care. But that's God stepping into society, giving people ideas as to how to fix these things. Because God loves those who are not here just as much as he loves us who are. The Bible says the rain comes down on the righteous and the unrighteous. So what we need to do is when God shows us what it is, 
what that high place is, then we need to repent for it. We're never going to, <laughs> make it said last week, you can't make it shorter, but you can certainly make it longer, the wilderness experience. And you make it longer if you don't repent. Repentance is required to end it, to get out of it the way God wants to take you out of it. God told me a, a little while back that he's going to take me somewhere that I have never been before. And then into the wilderness I went. <laughs> I, re I, can, I remember I could sitting on the back deck in, in the spring, in the summer, and God was just there. You know, he would just, it was just so cool just to sit and do nothing and just feel the presence of God. Um, it's not quite like that anymore, and that's probably the wilderness thing. You know, but I'm still going to worship him. You know, it doesn't matter whether I feel him with me. I still feel him inside of me, but it's not that tingly presence, you know, that we've all felt. But the wilderness, you walk through it. You put one foot in front of another. You do what you know to do. You do your best to worship God the way he wants us to worship. And, even, and then we walk out of it because he'll show us what he wants us to see. He's taking all of us to a place we've never been before. And I don't think it's Hawaii. <laughs> you know, God is taking all of us to a place we've never been before because we're all growing. But repentance is required. You know, when you hurt somebody that you love and you do it accidentally, you apologize. That's repentance, right? If we do something that hurts God and we don't realize what we're doing until God shows us, it's time to repent. It's time to repent. When we miss the mark, we apologize to God. We repent. You know, the, the, the word repentance, at least all the ones I found in the Bible, mean, we're like, okay, regret for doing wrong or causing pain, a reversal of a decision. So repentance is changing your mind. Plain and simple. It's going to God and saying, I am so sorry. I never saw that before. I'm going to change the way I think so that I think the way you have just shown me. And repentance is changing your mind. The whole, the whole process of renewing our mind is changing the way we think. And that's our worship. That's our worship. So I just want to take a moment, because I don't have anything else to say, and just ask God to show us if we have a high place that he wants us to tear down. I mean, we all have them. But some of us, God wants us to tear them down, and some of us, we're not ready to tear them down, and so he won't mention anything until we're ready. But I just want to bow for a minute and just ask God, all of us, to show us where that high place is that he wants us to tear down. Father God, thank you so much for speaking to us. Holy Spirit, thank you for dwelling inside of us and speaking to us. Those high places, Lord, we just give them to you this morning. Take them from us. Father, we commit to changing our mind about how we think about that place, how we think about that thing. We don't want to worship that anymore. Lord, we want to replace it with you, and we want to worship you because you are so good. You are so good.
So Father, we give our minds to you this morning so that we can worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, give us knowledge of who you are so that we can increase our worship of you because you are so worthy of all the worship that we can muster. Thank you, Father, for working with us to bring us to the place where we can worship you better. Thank you for not just demanding that we be perfect, but you work us through and help us every step of the way, one step at a time, line upon line, precept upon precept. Lord, you show us what to do next. Father, we commit our lives, our hearts, our minds, our wills, our emotions, our desires. Lord, we give them all to you this morning to change, to change however you want to change them because we trust you with our hearts. We trust you with our minds and we trust you with our emotions. Do what you got to do and we will submit. Father, in Jesus' name. For more information about Embassy Church, visit our website at embassychurch.ca.